Well, good morning. Happy New Year. Oh, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. A lot better than first service. You guys actually were the ones who stayed up really late, and now you're here this morning at 1045. Uh, I think our, our early service was, it was a little bit sparsely attended, but we're so glad that you're here on this New Year's. Uh, my name is Paul. I am the discipleship pastor here. As we think about a brand new year, I was, I was thinking a lot about this idea of things that are new. And, you know, we get really excited about new things. I mean, just over the past few weeks, right, we've taken new items, we've put them in fancy little boxes and put them under our tree, and, and then we've had opportunities to open those new items, and we get all excited because we get those new clothes or that new gadget. We love the smell of a new car over the smell of an old car, right? Uh, there's something about that new car smell that we just love. Uh, we treat new items nicer than we treat old items. For example, you get that new car, that new couch. Oh, don't put any coffee on the couch. We don't want to get a stain on it. We, we treat new things nicer. My, my youngest son is a prime example of this. Just for Christmas, one of the things that he asked for, kind of interesting, was he asked for uh, things to put in your shoes to stretch your sneakers so that they don't get creases on the top of them because you want your shoes, your brand new sneakers apparently, never to look old so you don't crease the things. Apparently this is a thing with middle schoolers nowadays. Um, And so you want to keep them looking as new as possible. Uh, I mean, I also think about like, I mean, first service or someone said, oh, I love this, but most of us don't like the idea of re-gifting, right? You get something and then you give it away. We want the new thing, not the old thing. And as I think about this idea of why we love the new, I think the reason we love the new is because there's something ingrained in us from God that appreciates the new thing. I think we're hardwired to think about new things and enjoy new things. I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but all over the Bible, it talks about the new thing and how new things are great things. Like, for example, in the book of Psalms, we talk about, we sing about a new song sung unto the Lord. The Bible talks about a new grain offered to God rather than old grain in sacrifice. Jesus compares what he's come to do as like putting new wine in new wineskins as opposed to old wineskins. We as followers of Jesus talk about a, a new life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 celebrates this newness when it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Amen? And so today, we usher in our new year. And in a new year, there's new opportunities, new possibilities. But with the new gifts that we've been opened and all the new clothes and gadgets that have come into our possessions, and as we celebrate a new year, I wonder, have have any of us thought about what it would be like if there was a new you? I think probably many of us have. I mean, this is the time of the year where we kind of step back and we look about the last year and what's happened and the things that we've done that we wish we hadn't done or the things we wish we had done that we didn't do. And we take a moment and we reflect and we set about making resolutions. Just just by a show of hands, how many in this room have made some sort of New Year's resolution? Some of you. Yeah, it's kind of about the same as first service. And, And actually what we're seeing with kind of limited hands. It's kind of on par with the rest of American culture. I was reading a study this week from Statista's Global Consumer Survey. They found about 39% of U.S. adults are going to make a resolution for 2023. 39% are going to want to do something different. And, and out of that list, here are the, th- uh, the most common resolutions. You're going to see that most of these are, they add up to more than 100%. So most people are making more than one resolution. But here are the common ones. 52% said they were going to exercise more. 50% said they were going to eat healthier. 
40% said they want to lose weight. So the first three are all like, hey, how do I get in shape, right? I've been eating too much. I'm out of shape. I can't breathe anymore. I need to exercise. So it's all about those kind of things. 39% said they were going to save more money. 37% said to spend more time with family and friends. 20% said spend less time on social media. 19% reduce work stress. And then 19% to reduce spending on living expenses. A couple things that are interesting from this list. Uh, so this wasn't on the 22, 2022 list, but to save more money, 39%, and to reduce spending on living expenses is, is brand new. And I think a lot of that is rising out of the fact that there's like inflation, right? And people are figuring out, how do I pay all my bills? Also, the, the interesting one is spending less time on social media is newer in the last few years. Ten years ago, this was never the case. Now we're going, oh my gosh, I'm spending so much time searching my phone. And so these are new resolutions. And so maybe you have one of those resolutions on this list. But as I think about that list, I think we all think that th those are good things, right? Like most of us are like, man, if I could actually change those things, life would be pretty good. But studies will also tell you that even though we might set those goals, only 16% of people actually are able to follow through in their resolutions, I mean, that, again, that resolution list is not a bad list. If those things could actually happen in our lives, life would be pretty good. So why is it so hard to change? If we know those things, accomplishing those things would make life better, why is it so hard to follow through? Why do we so often get stuck in the transformation process? Well, this morning, I want to leave us here with some hope. To leave here with the truth that change is possible. Whether or not you set a New Year's resolution or not, that transformation is actually possible for each and every single one of us. That 2023 can be better than 2022. And that the things that you want to see change in you and around you can actually happen. So this morning, I want to open up God's Word. Uh, and we're going to open up God's Word to the book of Romans. Specifically, we're going to land in chapter 12. And in this passage, we're going to learn what it looks like, what it really means to see a new you, to become a new you. And here's the bottom line. If you don't remember anything else, here's the bottom line. A new you is possible when you learn to renew your mind. And so let me just take a moment. Let's pray one more time, and then we'll open up God's word. God, we thank you so much for this morning, for gathering us in this place. And now as we explore your word, would you speak to us? Would you challenge us? Would you change us? May we leave here different than when we came in because of what you're going to say. And God, I pray that every word coming out of my mouth is from you, and not from me. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we get to Romans chapter 12, let me just give you a little bit of the background. So Romans is written by a guy named Paul. Surprise, surprise, he wrote most of the New Testament. And he wrote to the church in, surprise, surprise, Rome. And he's writing to this church in Rome. And it's most likely written around 57 AD, which is right around the time when Nero becomes emperor. And this is kind of a, a tough time in the life of the church. And the church is dealing with some things as well, not just with Nero, but they're also dealing with some things in, in the, themselves. And there's a debate happening in the church in Rome about how do we deal with this whole like Jesus stuff and coming out of Judaism and how do we live this out and do we need to follow all the Jewish customs and rules and all this kind of stuff. And because of that, there's some disunity happening in that Roman church. And so Paul's writing to the Romans and he's basically encouraging them to be unified, to be unified around the message of Jesus. And he wants this unity for two reasons. One, it's important for the church to be unified, that there's not division, but also because he desires for Rome to be a mission hub for him. 
that eventually he wants to go from Rome into Spain and to preach the good news of Jesus. And so he's writing this letter to the Romans to get them unified and to get them set up so that they can be this sending church. And so in writing this message to unify the church in Rome, in chapters 1 through 11, Paul writes this amazing theological work about who Jesus is. And he writes about all that God has done by sending his son Jesus. And this message can be best summed up in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so this message of of chapters 1 through 11 is this book that Jesus is the power of God demonstrated so that salvation can come. And and it's, it's a beautiful theological work. But then in chapter 12, things shift. He spent 11 chapters building this amazing argument for the gospel, and then Paul starts to get practical. And he says, in light of all that I have stated about who Jesus is, now this is how you should live. And so in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Now, I want to stop there for a moment. That phrase, in view of God's mercy. This is referring to everything that Paul has just talked about in chapters 1 through 11. And, and I want you to put a pin in that idea about this view of God's mercy, because we're going to come back to it in a little bit. So he's, he continues, though. He says, I urge you then, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, just for a moment. Have you ever thought about what real worship is? I mean, I think we have all kinds of ideas about what worship is. Oftentimes when we think of worship, we think of what we just did. It's singing songs on a Sunday morning uh, to God. Uh, It might be singing songs at the top of your lungs in the shower or in the car. We think of that as worship. It might be coming on a Sunday morning and hearing the word of God preached, that that is worship. It's what we do in this time together on Sundays. Maybe if you're watching online, worship for you is watching on Facebook your favorite pastors and preachers uh, across the country. We think that is what worship is, and it is. I mean, I love coming on a Sunday morning and singing songs together. There's something beautiful and powerful when we gather together and worship through song. There's something amazing and life transformational when we hear the word of God preached. But that is not just what worship is. Worship is more than just those things. Worship is basically telling God he's worth it. That's what worship is. It's telling God he's worth it with our entire lives. True worship is not just what we do for an hour on Sundays. Worship is how we live our lives 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. True worship is how we love those around us. True worship is how we serve those with our gifts and our talents. True worship is how we learn to forgive those who've harmed us. True worship is how we spend our resources. It's how we live our lives in obedient surrender to Jesus, not to earn God's favor, not to earn his love, but out of gratitude for the love he's demonstrated to us by worshiping him with everything that we are. That's what verse 1 is saying. That's what worship is. That's what Paul is making the case. That's what true worship is. But then in verse 2, he continues and he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's the main verse that I want to camp out on this morning. 
Paul states, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. What he's saying is, basically, if you really want to worship me, if you really, not me, Paul, but if you really want to worship God, you need to be transformed. You need to do it differently. Don't conform to the way the world does it, but do it differently. And so for a moment, I, I just want to focus in on that phrase, pattern of this world, because maybe that's a little confusing to you. In that phrase, what Paul is referring to is the truth that you and I, we have an enemy. And his name is Satan. And Satan wants nothing more than for you and I to live defeated, ashamed, and stuck. The last thing that Satan wants for your life and for my life is for us to be new. The last thing he wants for you is for you to be different. And the Bible refers to him as the God of this world. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who's the exact likeness of God. And so the Bible refers to Satan as the God of this world. And, and, and he's developed some patterns of how this world works. And we also know, though, that Satan is the father of lies. Jesus says this about him in John 8. You belong to your father, the devil. He's talking to some religious leaders. Not a great message to the religious leaders. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is the liar and the father of lies. Now you might be wondering, what is this idea about Satan being the father of lives? What does this have to do with us becoming the best version of ourselves? You see, the reason it is so hard for you and I to change is because we often believe Satan's lies. He tells us all the time things that are not true. He might speak to you and say, you are not lovable. You will never be enough. You will never change. You're going to be stuck in these patterns forever. And, and he tells us these lies and we start to believe these lies. And not only are we thinking them, but we begin to dwell on them. And after time, we're not only just dwelling on them, but they become our default thoughts. We believe these things to be a core of who we are. It becomes our identity. And because it becomes our identity, all of a sudden we start acting out of those things. We start behaving out of those things. We start self-medicating to make those thoughts and those feelings go away. And before we know it, we're stuck in these patterns of the world that are not good. And we can't break free. This week, I was listening to a message by a pastor by the name of Craig Rochelle. He pastors a church called Life Church in Oklahoma, and he uh, sp spoke this message, but he also wrote a book called Winning the War in Your Mind. Change your thinking, change your life. I think there's an image of that book. There it is. And one of the things he talked about in the message that was so great, he said, you know, science and the Bible are not opposed to one another. In, in fact, the more we learn about how God has created this world through science— I think personally we learn, we learn to have faith in the creator and the beauty and the majesty in which he puts things together. Anyway, one of the things he talked about, he says, researchers have been doing a ton of research about the human brain. And one of the things they've discovered is that as we go through life, we have these different experiences. And when those experiences are good, it produces a chemical in our brain called dopamine. And dopamine triggers the pleasure centers of the brain. And so when this happens, we, we, something good happens, dopamine goes off, it feels good, we're like, ooh, that feels good, I like that. 
And it, our brain learns and it creates a pathway. And it says, basically, when I do this, I feel good. So let's do that thing again. Let me give you an example. So from an early age, we learn that when we're hungry, it doesn't feel good. But when we eat, we feel better. When we eat, we're hungry, we eat, dopamine goes off. And it's like, ooh, that feels good. We should do that again. And that's a, a pathway that's created. It tells us eating is good. And that's good because we need to eat to survive. We need the nutrients. It, it's good for us to eat. So those pathways can be good. But Satan can also use those pathways to lie to us. You see what happens when something bad happens in our life. We're yelled at at work. We get stressed out in our marriage. Things aren't going well. Our kids are absolutely not listening to us. Money gets a little tight. Whatever. Something bad happens. And Satan can use that pathway to tell us a lie. Tell us, you know what will make you feel better? If you just go to the refrigerator right now, grab that tub of chocolate ice cream that was there. You'll feel a lot better if you just eat that tub of chocolate ice cream. And mindlessly we run to the fridge and we eat something, whether we're hungry or not. Because when we eat, the dopamine goes off and says, this will feel good, this will make you feel better. And it will, for a moment. As you're eating that ice cream, you're going to feel better. Except an hour later, after you sat there on the couch, you've eaten the entire tub, you feel bloated, you're going to be sick to your stomach, and now you regret because you're going to gain 20 pounds. <laughs> this is what happens. This might happen, you know, why did I go and spend all that money on Amazon on something I didn't need? Why did I look at that image again that I didn't need to? Why did I waste another hour or two scrolling on Facebook or Instagram? It feels good for a moment because the dopamine is going off, but in the end, regret sets in and you don't feel good anymore. And it becomes something not just happens every once in a while. It's not just something we think about every now and again, but it becomes a dominant part of our thinking. Before we know it, patterns start to set in. And the Bible refers to these things as strongholds. We're trapped. We're stuck. We can't break free. And no matter how hard we work at it, no matter how many times we promise God, God, I'm not going to do that th thing again. I'm going to have willpower to do things differently. We just can't break free. But Jesus did not come so that we could stay stuck. He did not come so that we can remain captive. The old is gone. The new has come. Amen? Amen. So change is possible. Transformation is possible. Well, how? Well, I'm glad you asked. So back to Romans. In Romans chapter 2, he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Paul's saying the key to lasting change is the renewing of your mind. And the word mind that Paul uses there is the word nous, N-O-O-C-E, which means intellect and thought, feeling, or will. It's the combination of what we think, what we feel, and how we move towards that. And Romans 12 states the way to transformation is the renewing of our mind because bottom line, a new you is possible when we learn to renew our minds. Well, that's easy to say. How do you actually do that? How do you actually renew your mind? And so to give credit where credit is due, I'm modifying this a little bit from Groeschel's message. But to renew our minds, I think there are four simple steps. And here's the four simple steps. You got to name it, replace it, pray it, repeat it. Name it, replace it, pray it, repeat it. And so the first step in renewing your mind is this, is you've got to actually name the stronghold. You actually have to name the thinking that you want to change. Identify what is the lie that you're believing that has taken root in you. So let me ask this question. When was the last time you thought about what you think about? 
I mean, we have lots of thoughts that go through our mind every single day, but how many times do you actually take a moment and think about what you've been thinking about? Maybe it's just me because I've been preparing this message, thinking about renewing your mind, but the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking a lot about what I think about. And I don't necessarily like what I'm always thinking about. There's lots of junk in there that isn't good. Let me, let me give you an example of this. So I've shared a bit of my story in the past, but one of the things that I've been working on over the last few years has been just how poorly I think of myself. One of the lies that I've often believed is that I'm worthless, that I'm no good, that I'm not a good enough father or husband or pastor or son or friend. And, and I've identified in the last few years just how much this, these lies permeate my life. And, and so I, I battle against these things. And so over the last couple of years, through a lot of prayer and Bible study and a lot of counseling, I've learned to see that lie and how it permeates my life and experienced a great amount of victory over it. But recently, I've been realizing how much I hate conflict. Now, there's some of you in this room who love conflict, who are great at having the hard conversation. I am not one of them. I avoid them at all costs. But, but here's the thing I'm learning, is that healthy conflict is sometimes good. It's appropriate sometimes to address things that are not good. There's times where you have to address something and say, this is not okay, we need to change this. I don't like having those conversations. And the reason I don't like having those conversations is because still at the core of me, there's a part of me that says, what if, what if I'm not enough? What if I have this hard conversation and they leave? What if they get mad at me? What if I say something stupid, blah, 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 and all these things go on in my mind. And, and so I'm realizing my a conflict avoidance is coming out of this, that there's still parts of me that don't believe everything that God has made me to be. And what I've realized now is when I have to have conflict, one of my coping mechanisms is I'll sit on my phone and I'll scroll Facebook. And I've realized that when conflict happens, my scrolling Facebook increases. The goal for me is not necessarily to change how much I'm spending on Facebook. What I need to do is go back to the source of why I'm on there in the first place. And I've got to identify the lie. And the lie is that I'm not enough. And so you've got to identify what, what is really going on in your life. What are the lies that you're believing? Now, you might be thinking here, sitting here this morning like, Paul, I'm good. I'm not believing any lies. I'm doing really good. And so let me just give you some encouragement of some places maybe where you need to take a look. And I'm not doing this to like guilt you, make you feel bad about yourself. <laughs> However, one of the things I love about the book of Romans, and actually the entire Bible, is not that the Bible just teaches us about his truth, but it also teaches us about who we are. And one of the things I love about the book of Romans after chapter 12 is Paul gives this amazing description of what the Christian life looks like. He talks about what what real worship really is. And in it, he's actually identifying patterns of the world that this early church has gotten stuck in. And so maybe if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, man, I'm good. There's nothing in me that needs to change. Maybe after this service, you're going to go look at chapter 12 and chapter 13 and chapter 14. And read about some of the things that they were getting stuck in. So for example, maybe you're going to read in chapter 12. And maybe you're going to realize as he's talking about spiritual gifts that you believe at your core that you are not enough. That that you don't have gifts and talents that God has given you for the furtherness of his kingdom. Or or maybe you're going to read and you're going to read that uh, you're going to feel like I'm believing the lie that I'm not lovable and that true loving relationships are not possible. Or maybe you're going to read at the end of chapter 12 and you're going to think that the lie that you believe it is that when somebody hurts you, when somebody's unkind to you, the best response is to punch them back with all you can. And you're going to realize that you're believing that lie. Or maybe you're going to get into chapter 13. 
And in chapter 13, you're going to read that you're believing the lie that the best response to any government action is to demand your rights. And you find yourself thinking and often obsessing about how the government is out to get you. Maybe you believe the lie that you would truly arrive if you had a better house like your neighbor. Or maybe you're believing the lie that it doesn't matter who you sleep with as long as it's consensual. Or in chapter 14, you're going to read and see that maybe you're believing the lie that your way of thinking about Christianity is absolutely right and anybody who worships on Saturday is clearly wrong. Or that anybody who's a vegetarian is clearly out of their minds because he talks about that in chapter 13. That it's okay. And so maybe you're going to read 12, 13, and 14 and you're going to see some lies that you are bought into as well. But for all of us, the first step in in renewing our minds is identify what are the lies that you're believing. What are the strongholds that are keeping you and holding you back? So first you name it. Second step is this, then you replace it. You name it, then you replace it. At the beginning of the message, I talked about in, uh, that phrase, in view of God's mercy. And I said, put a pin in that, we're going to come back to it. Well, we're going to go back to it now. So after you, believe, after you understand the lie that you've been believing, you've got to replace the lie with the truth. And the truth that we replace it with is the truth of the gospel. You replace the lie with the truth of the mercy of God. Everything is in view of the mercy of God. Paul says, in view of God's mercy. Basically, the way you change the lie is you start embracing the mercy of God that is offered to you in Jesus Christ. And you replace every lie with the truth. And you take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. That's what Paul's going to talk about in 2 Corinthians 10. He says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take thought, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so you take that lie and you replace it with the truth of God's word. You replace it of God's love and mercy for you. That Jesus came to live, to die, and to rise again. And because of that, there's this great power for those of us who believe. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Let's say your resolution this year is you're going to get your finances under control. And you're realizing that the reason you're struggling is because you overspend. And you're going to come back next week and learn, as we talk about it in our new series, Unstrapped, as we talk about money. But you're realizing at the core, the reason you overspend is that you're believing a lie that what you have defines who you are. You believe that your self-worth is wrapped up in the car you drive or the house you live in. And so you buy and you buy because you're worried that if you don't have that item, you do not measure up. But you replace that lie with the truth. And the truth is that you are a child of God. Your identity is in him. And you have a heavenly father who loves you, who's adopted you into his family. And God owns a thousand or um, ten thousand cattle on ten thousand hills, or whatever that verse is. I'm messing it up there; it wasn't in my notes. But God owns everything, and He will provide for you. Might not, maybe not everything you want, but everything that you'll need. And so you'll need all of that stuff in order to feel whole, because God has paid a price for you. Or maybe the lie that you're believing is that you have nothing to offer. Maybe the lie you believe is that your gifts, your talents are nothing. You see what happens here on stage, people speaking and praying and and singing and, and playing an instrument. And you're thinking, I don't measure up. I don't have anything to offer the body of Christ. And so maybe you're going to sign up for the serve class next weekend. 
And you're going to learn that God has wired you, created you uniquely for a purpose to impact this world for him. But you're going to replace that lie with the truth of Psalm 139, which says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. The psalmist is writing, God, I know that you made me wonderful. Listen, God does not make junk. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have gifts and talents and abilities that God has given to you for the furtherness of his kingdom. And you're going to rest in that truth. Maybe the lie you believe is that the best way to respond is to punch back to anybody who's unkind to you. Hurt them just as much as they hurt me. But you're going to reply, uh, replace that with the truth of Romans 12. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. That, the phrase burning coals on his head means bringing him to repentance. Killing them with kindness is basically what Paul's saying. And I think of all of these in light of God's mercy. I think all of these things in light of, of the, the, light, uh, the light of Jesus, right? I think about the life that Jesus lived. When I'm wanting to believe the lie that I need more stuff, I remember that Jesus did not have a place to lay his head. That he was born in a manger to nothing. That he left his royal throne in heaven out of love to come to this earth and he gave up everything so that we wouldn't need anything else. When I fall into the trap that my gifts and talents don't measure up or maybe the opposite, I remember that Jesus called 12 nobodies and he used them to change the world. And yet at the same time, Jesus himself said he did not come to be served, but to serve. And through his spirit, Jesus gives gifts to all who call upon his name. When I'm stuck in thinking that I want that person to pay for the hurt that they caused me, I replace that lie with the truth that one day they will stand before God in heaven. And they will give an account for all the sins they've committed. But so will I. And because of Jesus' sacrifice for my sins, my sins have been wiped away. And God has separated me from those sins as far as east is from the west. And I didn't deserve it. I deserve something much worse. And yet God's wrath was satisfied on that cross. And that was his mercy for me. And I can be forgiven. And so can they. You take those lies and you replace them with the mercy of God that's offered in Jesus. So you name it, you replace it, but then you got to pray it. Here's the thing. True transformation does not happen in our own willpower. True transformation does not happen because I set a goal and I work with all my might to accomplish that goal. True transformation is a process where the Holy Spirit comes and changes us from the inside out. 1 Peter 1, 2 says, You have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. That word sanctifying, that's a big fancy church word. It basically means the way that God grows us and changes us. And it's, it's the Holy Spirit's work that does that. It's the Holy Spirit which grows us, which changes us, which ultimately does the transformation. So you've got to name that stronghold. You name the lie. You replace it with the truth of God's mercy, but it needs to become a prayer. Lord, I'm believing right now that I'm not enough. But your word tells me that I'm loved no matter what. Help me to remember that. Lord, I'm struggling to rest in the truth that you will provide for me and, and that you are a good, good father. Lord, help me to remember 
that you are that good father who takes care of me. Lord, I'm believing the lie that the solution to my stress is that carton of Rocky Road ice cream with the whipped cream and cherry on top. Help me to remember that you are my comfort, that you are my peace. And I would say these prayers out loud. Declare it and let the truth and the mercy of God begin to renew your mind and ask God to come and give you that renewed mind. Ask God to come and create in you a new you. So you name it, you replace it, you pray it, and then the fourth one is you repeat it. I love how God works. I love how God has put our bodies together. As I mentioned, change is hard. And it's hard because at some point our brains are wired in such a way that we we fall into these patterns of thinking and then acting on them which are not helpful. And those pathways get developed in such a way that it becomes easy to fall into the same rut and routine. But what's also amazing about our brains is that those pathways can be changed. Like a computer, our brains can be reprogrammed. New pathways can be developed. New routines can be created. And the way you do that is you name the stronghold, you replace it with the truth, you pray it, but then you got to repeat it. The patterns of the world that we've gotten stuck in did not get created in one day. They are developed over time. But the amazing thing is that with God's moving and working, they can be redone. And by repeating this process over and over and over again, eventually your mind gets renewed and new pathways are created. And so you take these steps to renew your mind. And these steps help you to become that new you and changing the way you think. But listen, when you do this, you're not going to be perfect. I still want to get you hope, but listen, you're going to fall down. You're going to still come into old patterns. You're still going to believe lies from time to time. Don't give up. Keep going. Remember that God's mercies are new every single day. And so when you sin, when you mess up, come back to him, God, I need help again today. Keep going, keep repeating, and eventually what will happen is those pathways are going to get renewed. Your thinking will begin to change, and before you know it, the end of verse two is going, Romans chapter two is going to happen, where he says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Before you know it, the default thinking that's going to happen in your brain is how do I please God? And you will live a life of worship 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Keep going, keep repeating. So you name it, you replace it, you pray it, you repeat it. As we close, I I just want to share this one story with you. Um, So I attended the University of Minnesota uh, up in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And at the University of Minnesota, we had this large grassy space, which we called the mall. And the mall was basically between academic buildings and on the outside there was like sidewalks that the students were supposed to walk on. Now, students like to take it easy and they like to take shortcuts. So often what would happen though is instead of staying on the sidewalks, the students would basically cross over the grass. And every fall this would happen. Eventually what would end up happening is they would develop paths in the lawn. And slowly but surely the grass would wither away and there would be these dirt paths everywhere. Ruts and paths would be developed where they shouldn't have been. And I don't know why the, the groundskeepers didn't do this at the front end, but every single year they would do the same thing. About the time when these paths started to develop, all of a sudden they'd come out and they'd put these little ropes over the, kind of before the path would start. And they weren't very tall, maybe like two feet tall. Very easily you could go around or climb over, but they just put this little, this rope here. And every single time they would do that, the students would go around. They wouldn't walk through the path anymore. And eventually, 
the grass would grow back and the mall would look beautiful again. The steps I'm giving you this morning are like those little ropes. It's nothing profound, nothing really hard, but it's just enough so that your mind gets renewed, new pathways are developed, and you're changed and transformed. And so my hope and my prayer for you guys this New Year is that you'll take those easy steps, change the pathways in your brain that lead to the renewing of your mind and ultimately to a new you, the person that God designed and created you to be. This New Year's, will you commit to focus on the mercy and love of Jesus and let his work renew your mind to change the way you think so you can become a new you? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you, God, that you are not done with us yet, that you are still moving and working in us to change us from the inside out. God, I thank you for the beauty and the complexity of the way you've knit us together and how our brains work and, and, and how this is all happening. And, and God, we thank you for the understanding of that. But God, I pray that, that you would enter into our minds. And when we have these patterns of believing lies that are not good for us, that you would come in and help us, Lord, to replace those things with the truth, the truth of who you are, the truth of who we are in you, that you love us, that you care for us, that you sacrifice everything for us so we could have a relationship with you. And so, God, help us to, to do that and then help us to create prayers out of that, that we can just turn to you every single day and, God, that you would renew us every single day and then give us the strength to repeat it. God, I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, that we would become the best versions of ourselves, the people that you've called us to be, worshipers of you each and every day. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.